Hey, I'm Stephen Hovatter, the lead minister at Central Church of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our goal as a church is to follow Jesus together. So we gather on Sunday mornings for Bible study at 9 a.m. and worship at 10, 15 a.m. And you'd always be welcome to join us. To learn more, go to arcentralchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. It was a whisper, a rumble, a rumor, a word in the wind. Something anticipated, if you held your breath just so, strained your ear and looked to the wild, into the wilderness, into the desert. There was a sound. Before Jesus came, before Jesus' announcement, his public unveiling, before he was revealed in the world, there was a voice in the wild. A voice long awaited. Hard to hear, harder than you might think. A voice saying, he is coming, he is coming, get ready. As we think about this Advent season, what character represents it better than John? John in the wilderness, John, the one that we call the baptizer, the one who was the Baptist, right? John in the wilderness, a voice crying out, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, for you and I who know well the story of Jesus, who have been brought up in the way of Jesus, John's story is something like a prologue. It's the thing that we have to get through before we get to the story of Jesus. But can we sit in that moment for just a minute today? You know, it's that last Sunday before Christmas, before we will announce like the, in the history always does, that Christ has come into the world. But before that, before we rush into Christmas morning, let's sit for a little bit in the story of John John the Baptist. Y'all, he was an absolute rock star in his day. For us, he's just prologue. But for his day, John the Baptist was mad famous. Everyone knew him for miles around. That's part of the reason that the gospel writers are interested in showing us. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all show us. They begin with Jesus's story by talking about John the Baptist. And that's kind of a remarkable thing, right? Because they are starting where a lot of people in their world already knew. People in Jesus' day already knew about the ministry of John. They knew about the work of John the Baptist. Everybody knew about John the Baptist. It was a big deal. In fact, I want to just kind of illustrate that a little bit and show you that long after Jesus had already uh, come and and taken on that ministry and then then gone on uh, to be with the Father after his death and his resurrection, Jesus' disciples, as they went out into the world, they often found people who already knew something about John. When Peter went in 
Acts chapter 10 to the house of Cornelius, all right? And in that house, he's going to talk to Cornelius about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Listen to how he starts. This is Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 34. Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea. Listen to this. Beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced. So some years later, Peter can go to the house of somebody not living in Jerusalem, to somebody down towards the coast in outer Judea, and he can go to that house and say, you already know some of this story. You know how things started when John the Baptist was telling about his baptism. You know that, right? Cornelius can begin about the story of Jesus saying, oh, yeah, oh, this is connected. This is connected to John it's not the only time in the story. In chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas go to Antioch of Pisidia, which is in modern-day Turkey. So we've moved up around the Mediterranean. We've moved out of Israel and into the region of Turkey. And while they're there, while they're in that space, they are, they are preaching and they're uh, teaching people about uh, what the, the good news of Jesus, okay? But before they can do that, before they start that, they can talk about what it meant for John the Baptist to be in his ministry. Talking about what it meant for John to be one of the people who was proclaiming the good news of God. On chapter 18, uh, Paul and Barnabas, Paul is also uh, still at work. And in, Paul, in, in chapter 18, they find a man named Apollos. Apollos has come all the way to Corinth. But what does he already know about? He already knows about the baptism. He knows about, it says, the way of the Lord. So he knows some stuff about Jesus. But it says he doesn't know anything about Jesus' baptism except for the baptism of God. In the very next chapter, in chapter 19, we find another group of disciples who also know about John's baptism, this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I mean, just think about that. These disciples are going off in their ministry, sharing the good news of Jesus, and everywhere they seem to go, they find people that already know something about the way of God because of John. I'm telling you. He was an absolute rock star. He was so famous in his area that when the gospel writers talk about John's ministry, they talk about how people came, all the, all the people from Jerusalem and Judea came out, out into the desert, out into the wild places near the Jordan River. They came out just to hear what this word was that was being spoken. He became so popular that even though he was speaking negative things about the king, he was being invited to the palace to come issue his prophecies. Now, because he continued to say negative things, Herod eventually had him arrested, had him imprisoned in the dungeon there. But he still, this is the craziest thing, Herod still thought so much about John that he would bring him up out of the dungeon to have him like preach and issue his prophecies to him even though they were never anything good about him. 
And then he'd be like, come listen to him for a while. And then he'd go, all right, now you gotta go back down the dungeon. You went too far, right? And they went through this cycle for years until John had so offended Herod's wife that she tricked her husband into having him executed. Isn't that crazy? John is like somehow like Herod's pet. Somehow coming out and doing his trick of speaking the word of God in such an entrancing way that even the person about whom he, has been, he is speaking negatively feels compelled to hear it. So some of the burn that's going on with this word from God until finally he has gone so far that his life is demanded. John had a word to say that had to be heard. It compelled people. Even if they wouldn't go all the way into obedience, it compelled them to listen, hear. What was that word? That word was people get ready. The Messiah is coming. John's message was meant to prepare the way. Look in Luke chapter 3 with me for just a moment. We want to read some about John's work. Luke seems particularly interested in the ministry of John the Baptist. If you look, and I would really encourage you over these next few days and this next week um, to spend a little time. If you're reading the uh, story of the birth of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, you almost can't help but read the story of John the Baptist because Luke's art is to kind of bounce back and forth between the story of John and the story of Jesus on through the first three chapters. It's kind of this ping pong match. Let's hear something about the story of John. Let's hear something about the story of Jesus and so on and so forth. But in chapter three, we finally get to the place where John emerges. And listen to how Luke anchors that moment in concrete history. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee and his brother Philip was ruler of the region of Iturea and Traconitis, and Licinius was the ruler of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. You guys all got those right? Okay. It really is better that now we just say it was 2023, right? Like, I like our way of marking time better than theirs. But he's basically just given us the date. This is a time. This isn't a myth. If this, this story doesn't start once a long, long time ago, once in a galaxy far, far away. It starts with it was the 15th year of this emperor's reign. When this person was in charge here, and this person was in charge here, and this person was in charge here, it happens in a moment in history, in the world not just of legend, but in the world of flesh and blood. What is it that happens during all those years? The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. 
He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized to him, welcome, I'm glad you're here, fill out a card. He said to them, welcome, we'd love to have you. I'm so glad you showed up, I've heard lots of good things about you. Is that the way your Bible reads? John, being not as smooth as a preacher as the one that you see before you today, Instead, begins like this. You brood of vipers. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Maybe that should have been my opening line today. You bunch of baby snakes. Waiting till the poison comes into your teeth. How'd you hear about it? Did you check the website? Hear about us on Facebook or on the gram? If you're really hip, one of our TikToks or Be Reels. Who warned you? Who warned you? Here this morning, who was it? that spoke that first word to you. Now, you may have been coming for a long time. Who was it that told you first? How did you catch the rumor? How did you hear the word? Who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come, John says? Who told you that things have got to be made right before they are held in account. Bear fruits worthy of repentance, John says. Do not come, do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestors, for I tell you, God is able from these very stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the ax is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John's vision of the Messiah is a lumberjack with his axe right here at the tree, ready to go. And who was it that came to listen to? Listen to the, what the crowds say to John. The crowds asked him, this is verse 10 of Luke 3. The crowds asked him, what then should we do? Hear the note from Acts chapter 3 in that story, or Acts, yeah, Acts chapter 2 right at the end, when the, the story that we all think of, of as a baptismal story, well, here the Baptist has his crowds responding in a pretty simple, simple way. Or maybe we should say it the other way around. The crowd at Pentecost who responded to Peter's preaching were echoing, in Luke writing both of these books, they're echoing what the people said to John. They're responding to the word of Jesus 
like people responded to the word of John, where John says, prepare yourself for the wrath that is to come. They're fruit worthy of repentance. And they cry out and they say, what then should we do? And so in reply, Jesus or John says to them, and hear this teaching. Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. Whoever has food must do likewise. Even the tax collectors came to be baptized and he said, asked, they asked him, teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers. Soldiers came to him. These are like Roman soldiers, right? These are the oppressive ar army embedded in this land. And they come to him. Why are they, what is going on here, right? They come to him and say, what? And we, we, what should we do? And he said to them, don't extort money from anybody by threats or by false accusations. Be satisfied with your wages. You hear this? What does it mean to prepare the way of the Lord? Well, these people come and they say, what, what should we do to get ready for the Messiah to come? And, and Jesus says, I'll tell you where to start. Start off, or John says, oh, man, I keep putting Jesus' name right. John says, here's where you start. If you've got two coats in your closet, and I got to tell you, I've got more than two, and you encounter somebody that doesn't have one, share it. And if you've got food and you encounter somebody that doesn't have it, share it. This is part of what it means to prepare the way for the Messiah. It's to practice generosity. It's to check our greed and our possessiveness in the face of great need in our community. And it's to open our hearts to people we see that do not have the things that we have. It's to open ourselves up to generosity because we know that the Messiah is coming. And who would be found in the face of the Messiah with two bowls of food next to someone without who would be found with a closet full of coats sitting next to a neighbor who has none? Beyond that, this tax collectors that come and they come and they say, what should we do? And he says, don't uh, defraud anybody, right? Collect no more than you're, you're supposed to. So practice integrity. To prepare the way for the Messiah, it means to live within the way things are supposed to be done. It means to practice some integrity and not cheat or take advantage of other people. The soldiers that come and they are told not to extort money from anyone by threats. So you don't power play people when you're preparing for the Messiah. You don't bulk up so that you look more dangerous to somebody else. You don't use your power to hold people down. Don't extort money by threats. Don't make false accusations. 
and be satisfied by living off the wages you have instead of trying to get a little bit more out of the people that you're supposed to be taking care of and protecting. Let those with ears to hear, hear. It's remarkable that these categories of people who are not going to be seen as the bread and butter of righteousness in uh, John's communities, but these soldiers and these tax collectors that come up to them, here's the very people. And John doesn't say, hey, you know what? Just go on with yourself. I'm sure it'll be all right when the Messiah comes. He says, no. There are things that you need to do to prepare for the Messiah. You need to change the way that you live. You need to live with generosity and integrity and you need to check your own power and make sure that you're not being abusive to other people and you need to make sure that when the Messiah comes, that what he finds you with are the fruits of repentance. Not just words that said, I'm not going to live in an anti-God way. I'm not just wearing the Christian label but I have fruit that demonstrates that I am preparing for the Messiah. As the people were filled with expectation, they were all questioning in their hearts concerning the Messiah. Questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah. You hear that? What's the effect of this? G John is saying, prepare, prepare, prepare. Practice repentance. Practice, uh, gather the fruit that keeps with repentance. And as he says that message, what's the response? People say, they, they begin within themselves. They begin to cultivate a holy, sacred expectation. So much so that they even start to see John and they say, I wonder if, I wonder if he is the Messiah. But they have this expectation, right? That they start, they find that as they practice preparing for the Messiah, you know what happens as you prepare for the Messiah? You develop the expectation of the Messiah. That's part of why we've taken steps this year to think about what it means to wait on the coming Lord. Because when we spend time preparing, when we take time practicing the discipline of preparing for God's arrival, we find ourselves living in the expectation of that. Instead of being forgetful servants who don't have enough oil to go in our lamp, we start over and over again, thinking of what it will be like when Jesus does return. And I hope this season has been for that for you. I hope it's been a season of cultivating a deep expectation for the Messiah's coming. And if we haven't done that, may I suggest that in order to cultivate that deep expectation, part of what we have to do is repent. It may seem counterintuitive 
to us because we think of repentance as a painful process. And indeed, sometimes it is painful to admit truths about ourselves that we would rather not vocalize. But my experience is that when I give myself over to repentance, it starts making things that are ideas and words it starts making those things real to me. Repentance cultivates hope. When we take steps to change our lives because we know that the Messiah is coming, it begins to shape us as people who can hold hope for his coming. It is very difficult to hold on to hope when we are holding on to sin. Now, truth be told, there is something about us that even as we know ourselves to be sinful, and as we struggle, repentance is a struggle. It's not just a switch we can flip and say, okay, we've done and done that, okay? That even in our best heart, sometimes we struggle with repentance we struggle with sin, and there is a part of us that even in that place, we reach out for hope. We reach out for the hope that we can't really know yet. And I think that is the work, right? That is what repentance looks like. Repentance doesn't look like success all the time. Repentance is an aspiration that we put into action. And it is a giving of ourselves over to the process. It is a submission. I'm sure why that was funny. It is something that we submit to. And then why not? Why wouldn't repentance? Be something that we associate with baptism. I mean, isn't that John's work? He's out in the desert baptizing people. And you may think to yourself, well, that's, that's just like he, he just pairs this ritual with it. It may seem like disconnected from the message. But it's actually embedded with the baptismal moment, embedded within the symbol of what baptism is. The meaning of repentance and preparing is right there with it. You submit to baptism. You give yourself over to it. You allow it to be done to you. Even in the motion of a person's body, you, you don't baptize yourself. You give yourself to it, right? And so John out there in the Jordan is confronting people with their need to submit to God. And so he takes their bodies into his hands and asks them what it means to submit to the process of repentance. John, the baptizer, is the one with the word about what it means to repent. 
was sent out into the world with the mission of helping the world in his space prepare themselves for the Messiah. So he's not just a figure that's a prologue to the story. And he's not just something that we come to in this season as we think about preparing for the coming of the Messiah, but he has a word for us as an example of our mission too. I mean, isn't that part of our work in the world? The Holy Spirit coming to us like it came to John to speak into our world and to proclaim with John, prepare for the coming of the Messiah. I mean, isn't that part of what we do when we, even if we talk about ethics with people in the world, aren't we doing something like John was doing with the tax collectors and the soldiers in his day? Showing them a little bit about what, the word, what it means to ease themselves into the way of Jesus, even if they haven't owned it yet. We are in the world like John, inviting people to come and to make ready the way for God. Come clear over the last few weeks that Joy to the World is Chad's favorite of the Christmas songs. I appreciate that. And for us, every time we hear that song over the holiday season, I hope we take serious both the proclamation, Joy to the World, the Lord is come, but also that one hidden message let every heart let every heart what prepare him room right i mean isn't that the word of john the messiah is coming prepare and so for us in the church, we remember and we say that the Messiah has come and the Messiah will surely come again. And we look each other in the heart, in the eye, and we say, oh brother, oh sister, prepare room for Jesus. We look into the world and we look to our neighbors. And as we sing that the Lord has come, we remember that he will come and we say, let every heart, not just those in this room who gather at this table, but let every heart in the 72202, let every heart in this city and indeed, and let every heart in all of God's world, isn't it our hope that every heart would prepare room for him? Repent, prepare for the Messiah who has come, is coming again. May all God's people say, amen.